0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to Second Samuel chapter 16. 2 Samuel 16 and beginning our reading at verse 15 and then reading into chapter 17 uh, this evening. This is on page 268. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with them. And when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged, and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king. And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushay said to Absalom, this time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushay said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears of it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man and that those who are with him are valiant men but my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men who were with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now, Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at en A female servant was to go and to tell them, and they were to go, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose, and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan." When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and went off to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab, Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister to Zariah, Joab's mother. And Israel uh, and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahinam, Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Reba of the Ammonites, and Makir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzaleh, the Giladite, from Rogalim, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and cheese from the herd, for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness." <clears throat> There are some images that communicate uh, defeat. Uh, Maybe you're a sports fan and you can imagine scenarios that communicate the idea that defeat is imminent. Uh, You think of a ball game, a baseball game, and it might be the final inning. And the home team is down by several runs. And sometimes in those scenarios, you'll see fans get up and walk out of the stadium because they see that the writing is almost on the walls, that it seems like there's no chance uh, for things to turn around. And so fans will want to, to leave early uh, because it just seems like defeat is so imminent. And as we turn back in the book of Samuel this evening uh, to the life of David, we have been watching and following uh, David's reign. But it seems like David's reign is all but over. Uh, it seems like defeat is imminent. You remember that uh, Absalom, David's own son, has conspired against David. Uh, He resented his father. But he didn't just resent his father, he conspired to kill his father. Absalom wanted to become king in his place. And it tells us that he conspired uh, to steal the hearts of the men of Israel. And he, he succeeded. He was able to gain a momentum, uh, to gain a great following of people that would support a new leader over Israel. More than this, we're told that even David's own counselor, Ahithophel, joined this conspiracy. And so as we came last time, you remember that at the end of it, David is on the run. A king is fleeing his own city. Uh, A nation has rejected their own king. This man has been rejected by his own son and by one of his closest advisors. It would seem like all things are done for David, that his kingdom has come to an end. But as we turn back to the book of Samuel this evening, we want to see that the Lord's plans ultimately will prevail. That while the wicked have their own plans, it is the Lord who is sovereign over all things. And because the Lord's plans will be realized we are to live trusting in the Lord's plans rather than in the schemes of men and women. we want to look at this chapter, especially chapter 17, uh, by looking at the plans of the wicked being described and then the plans of the wicked being defeated. It tells us uh, there uh, that when Absalom came in uh, to the city, uh, that Absalom then turned uh, to his counselor, to Ahithophel, and he asked him what he should do. And Ahithophel wastes no time in giving counsel. He told him to go into his father's concubines uh, that he had left in Jerusalem. And Ahithophel had his reasons for giving that instruction. But it had uh, a significance to it. Uh, because in doing that, it was not only laying claim to the throne himself, but it was a drawing in the line of the, uh, in the sand. Uh, In doing that, it was creating a division that could not be easily repaired. That it was an irreversible rebellion at that point. Uh, What Absalom was doing is he was all in on overthrowing David. And Ahithophel is securing the fact that this rebellion moves forward. But more than that, it is also creating the fact that there will be no middle ground. You cannot be a sympathizer of both David and Absalom. The claim is is one or the other. And in doing this, Absalom is himself asserting that you're either with me or you're against me in this effort to overthrow David. But Epithel, as he gives this counsel uh, to uh, Absalom, it is a wicked uh, counsel. It is a wicked thing that he is telling him to do. It is a violation of God's law. And it is something that according to the law was to be punishable by death. So Ahithophel was telling him to do something wicked, Uh, but he was telling him to do something that would advance Absalom's purposes if he was trying to overthrow uh, the king. So Ahithophel uh, gives his, uh, his counsel. And we've already noted how Ahithophel may have been the father or the grandfather of Bathsheba. And if that is the case, he may have had his own vested interest in getting even with David. But regardless of all of that, for us who are the readers of Samuel, for those of us who are the recipients of God's word and looking at what is transpiring here, we see something else that is happening. Because while Ahithophel has his reasons for giving this counsel to Absalom, we are the beneficiaries who read this and look at it in light of what God has already said. You remember how when David sinned against Bathsheba, the Lord pronounced a judgment against David. That the Lord said that he would bring judgment on David's house. The Lord said, I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. And so what was being communicated there about a neighbor of David's is ultimately the son of David. It is describing Absalom. And so while we can look on one level and say Uh, Ahithophel is giving his plan, he is giving his counsel here, at the same time, without even mentioning the Lord's name, we're being reminded that the Lord is still sovereignly at work. And even through the wicked intentions of men, God is still bringing his purposes to pass. What Ahithophel counseled, what Absalom did was wicked. And yet it was the fulfillment of God's judgment against David that he would bring uh, this uh, uh, this upon his household. And so it is a reminder of the Lord's sovereignty uh, uh, in all of these situations. But afterwards, uh, uh, Absalom again uh, is looking for a direction. And it tells us in chapter 17 that Ahithophel gives him more counsel. At the beginning of chapter 17, he tells him a plan. That is both calculated and very straightforward. What do they do next? They need to secure their position. And Ahithophel's counsel consists of really four things. The first thing that he tells them is the importance of their timeliness. They must respond with urgency. They must respond immediately. Tonight, they need to strike at David. This is not something that can wait. And so the first thing that Ahithophel says is, is that I will rise up, I will take men, I will advance, but I will do it tonight. That is key because David is in a panic, he is discouraged, he is weighed down. And now is the time when they're all in a panic to be able to strike them because people will flee if they're caught unexpected. And so Ahithophel counsels the issue needs to be done, dealt with tonight. The second thing that we see in his counsel is is that the attack will consist of a a sizable army. He says that it will be consisting of 12,000 men representative of the people of Israel. That Ahithophel will lead these men into battle. But that they will come uh, into battle uh, with the purpose of overtaking David. And that's the third thing. The target here is David. And only David. Ahithophel is not out for blood. Ahithophel does not want a civil war. Ahithophel wants us to be settled tonight. And so he says, let me take the troops and we will only take David out. But when we do, it will turn out to bring everyone back. How so? Because once their king is dead, they have nothing to fight for. Because once their resistance has been defeated at its headship, they have nothing to come around. They have nothing to be united by. Who's going to be their leader? And what will happen, he says, is they will all come back to Jerusalem. And then there will be peace. And so Ahithophel has a very straightforward plan. Attack now. Take troops. Fight only David. And it will bring peace to your nation all in the very short term. And we're told that the people, the elders and Absalom were convinced this was a good plan. And so they uh, are ready uh, to to move forward with this plan as it seems. But what we have to realize here is is that Absalom in pursuing this plan is not just acting out his resentment against his father. This isn't just a, a feud between father and son. This is a feud in which Absalom is rebelling against God's word. Absalom's real battle here, he's really not even fighting with David. His real issue is he is rebelling against, he is fighting with God himself. In attempting to overthrow David, Absalom is really rejecting God's word and trying to overthrow the Lord's anointed. But in the same way, Ahithophel is doing the same thing. In his counsel on how to attack David, Ahithophel doesn't have the liberty to pick sides. Ahithophel can't pick whatever king he wants to rule over Israel. He doesn't have that freedom to choose to be a supporter of Absalom. Ahithophel is responsible to live under God's revelation. God chose David to be king, and he hasn't rejected him. And so here, Ahithophel's counsel is also an outworking of his rebellion against God. But really, that is, that is true of the human nature, even today. That people who want to live for themselves, people who want to live apart from God, are not only exalting themselves, but they are ultimately fighting against The reign of god over them they are trying to reject what god has established his authority his king and as a result their fight is not just with others opinions but with god himself so here we are told about the plans of the wicked Uh, Ahithophel's counsel is not counsel that is simply to be looked at as pragmatic it's not simply a horizontal feud between two men This is a feud with fighting against God and fighting against God's uh, revelation about his chosen one. But we also read about how those plans ultimately are defeated. In verse 5, Absalom, for whatever reason, hesitates. He's been given counsel by Ahithophel. The counsel that earlier was described as, notice at the end of chapter 16, his counsel was as if one had consulted with the word of God. That's how highly esteemed he was. Meaning by that, what he said was reliable. It, it achieved the targeted aim. He, he was able to speak in order to achieve results. And so here, when one wanted a reliable input, Ahithophel was the one that you looked to. And everyone knew that. David knew it. And so did Absalom. But for some reason, Absalom hesitates and calls on Hushay to give his input. And not only that, but he tells him what Ahithophel has counseled, which is giving Hushay an advantage because now he can, he can poke holes at what has already been said. And so he says to, to say whether or not it is good or not. This time, Hushay responds by saying, This time the counsel of Ahithophel is not good. Again, that's a very bold statement, but it is one that is attacking Ahithophel's counsel very effectively. Ahithophel's counsel was effective, but Hushay's counsel, his rhetoric, was even more effective. His speech is what is going to win over Absalom. And so while his plan is actually inferior, It is what it presents to Absalom that uh, convinces him. He goes on uh, and he gives uh, the problems that he says uh, that exist with Absalom's plans, uh, uh, with Ahithophel's plans. Uh, And in order to uh, change Absalom's mind, he appeals both uh, to his fear and to his vanity or to his pride. Uh, He he begins there uh, by saying uh, in verse 8, you know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged. When Ahithophel gave his counsel, it was calculated. I will go, I will take the men, and I will strike down David. But when when Hushai here speaks, he turns the attention back on the vanity of Absalom himself. He turns the attention back to Absalom and he says, you know, Absalom, you're right to hesitate because you know more than Ahithophel, you know what David is like. But more than that, he plays up those fears. He he knows the stories of his father and how his father had survived in the wilderness against Saul. You know that he's not going to be there in the camp He was the guy who lived in the caves for a long time. He knows how to survive. And if you go out and you try to attack them, there may be a counterattack. And if there's a counterattack, and your men are fought down, and it leaks out, it'll destroy the momentum of the troops. They'll become disillusioned and think, we should never have fought against David. And so what Hushay is saying is, is that too much is at stake. You shouldn't go in unless you're going to win. And so what he recommends is he says, just wait and gather all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba. Gather them all so that it's like the sand of the seashore and then come against them with such power that there's no way it can fail. He advises him by painting this picture of an impressive force overwhelming any resistance. But you notice here, he doesn't say, we'll take out David. He says, we'll take out David and any sympathizer. And so even if David goes and finds a city of refuge, if he goes to find protection behind some stone walls, we'll simply tear down those walls stone by stone. There will be nothing left. There will be no resistance. The way that we secure your power, Absalom, is by wiping out all of David's supporters. And with a power of all of Israel, nothing will stop us. And so you just have this image of a a city wall being torn apart and David hiding behind that wall and giving up completely because there is nothing that can save him. And here Hushai is giving this advice simply to buy David time. But it is an advice, it is counsel that appeals to Absalom's vanity, his power and prestige, he will come against David and he will wipe out David himself with this incredible force that is of the size of the sand of the seashore. And so we are told uh, that as a result, uh, the elders in Absalom changed their mind and they began to think that the advice of Hushai was better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Now what is key here is, is that we are told that they themselves made that choice, that Absalom decided to reject Ahithophel's good counsel, a path that would have led to victory, humanly speaking. Uh, the good counsel of Ahithophel is rejected by Absalom's free choice. And yet it tells us here that The choice of Absalom was foolish, but it was also ordained or commanded by the Lord himself. There in verse 14, notice what it says. For the Lord had ordained or had commanded to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. The scriptures speak of those who refuse to love the truth, those who refuse God and His grace, that as a result of rejecting God's truth, that therefore God will send a strong delusion so that they might believe what is false, in order that they may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. What is the scripture saying? It says one of the repercussions of rejecting God's word is is that we are vulnerable to believe anything. Absalom rejected counsel that was reliable, but he rejected before that the word of God. Without God's truth to frame the way that he looks at things, he has no framework to prevent him from believing what is foolish. And so he buys in to a foolish plan that is not going to give him victory. And that is what happens when people reject God's word as well. They will believe anything and ultimately exposes them to lies and to the judgment of God. So the plans of the wicked are defeated because they're deceived by lies, because ultimately the Lord will thwart the plans of the wicked himself. Uh, and we see that here uh, in what it says in verse 14. The Lord said that he would not reject David as he rejected Saul. That's the difference. It looks like David's kingdom is all but over. He's on the run. His nation has turned against him. The people have rejected David. But the Lord hasn't. And because the Lord hasn't rejected David, that's what gives it security. security. The Lord will uphold David and ultimately establish the kingdom with David. The plans of the wicked will be overthrown. And that's what we see ultimately in the life of Jesus. When we come to the life of Jesus, he's ultimately rejected by the very people he came to save. He's a king that we would, might think he's defeated. He's lost. What he did failed. And yet what is important to realize is, is that he was not ultimately rejected by the father and that because God's promises are that his kingdom will prevail and that they will not be destroyed then his kingdom will be secure and so we are to live on the basis of what God has said on his promises rather than simply by trusting in the schemes of men or by looking at how things appear to us in the moment you see God's sovereignty then is to be an important component of the life of faith. Sometimes people think of the sovereignty of God as simply a philosophical problem. But the sovereignty of God is meant to be a great comfort to the life of faith. That in spite of the rebellion against God, God's plan will prevail. Here the king is being overthrown by the people. He is being rejected by the people. And yet God's plan will prevail. His king will be established in the midst of all this hardship. And so we are uh, seeing how uh, the plans of the wicked are going to unfold, how they're being pulled apart, that Ahithophel's counsel is ultimately rejected. Uh, and also how David gets wind of what is taking place and is able to escape uh, to safety. We're told in the second half of the chapter, in verses 15 (coughs) and following, how David uh, uh, is informed of what is happening, but also of the commitment of his supporters. We're told not only about Hushai and why he was giving this counsel in order to give David time to escape, but we're reminded of those other key people who served as loyalists to David. The priests, Zadok and Abiathar, their sons, Jonathan and Ahimaaz, But there is a line of communication. Zadok and Abiathar are to send a message to their sons. Their sons are lying outside the city walls because it's not safe to go in and out of the city. It probably wouldn't have been very easy to do so. But there's an interesting bridge. A female servant will leave the city walls. And go down to Enrogel, which is where there is a spring of water. She can go there and draw water without raising an eye of suspicion. She's able to gather water to go back into the city. But when she goes down, she can relay a message that is then passed on to the sons, which is then passed on to David. We're told that this line of communication is ultimately spotted. The sons of the priests are identified by someone. And ultimately, they have to run to a nearby city for refuge. They're pursued. And as they get there, they go to a house of someone. And they go and uh, hide in a a well. The woman there covers the well and scatters grain over it. And when they trace them to the house, they ask, where are Jonathan and Ahimez? And the woman simply says they are over the water. And then ultimately, they give up the pursuit. But what was the woman doing? The woman was risking her own life to protect these men who were sending a message to the king because she herself recognized the Lord's anointed. It's just like Rahab. Do you remember the story of Rahab? When the people of Israel were coming into the land of Canaan, they were spying the land and they came to Rahab and Rahab recognized the Lord is with you. And the Lord is going to give you the land of Canaan. And so she says, remember me and my family. But she recognized the Lord's favor was upon Israel. Here is this woman doing the same thing. Because she recognizes the Lord's favor is with the king. It's with David. And so she's willing to risk her life to protect these individuals in order that the message might get through. When Ahithophel recognizes that his counsel was not going to be followed, it tells us that he then went and set his house in order, and he hanged himself, and he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Ahithophel's actions are not simply someone that's disappointed that he's now going to play second fiddle. Ahithophel recognized that Absalom was going to lose. He recognized that the counsel that he was following was not going to bring victory and that he was going to be treated as a traitor in the end. And so being hopeless of defeat, he took his own life. But as one person has said, a Hippothel's suicide is not a sad and engulfing uh, an individual who has chosen the wrong side in a political conflict. It is the destiny gripping one who has conspired to oppose and to kill the Lord's anointed. It's likely that David was reflecting on Ahithophel when he wrote Psalm 41. That when he was talking about one who was close to him, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Ahithophel was a betrayer. And he was someone who died in despair because he had rejected the Lord's king but he is also an anticipation of another betrayer that would come later in history. There would be one who would betray the son of David, Judas himself. And he, after betraying Jesus, would take his own life, recognizing the consequences of his actions, recognizing that he had rejected the Lord's king. He also uh, ends a life, his life uh, uh, in despair. Those who divorce themselves from God's word will find themselves fighting against the Lord, but will also find that their plans frustrated in the end. So we're seeing the, the, the supporters uh, of those who give themselves to David and those who fight against David and the consequences that fall out. But we're told that eventually David came to Mahane uh, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. And again, we are introduced to certain supporters of David, Three of them are singled out in particular. We are told of a person named Shobi. Interestingly, it tells us that Shobi, uh, 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 there uh, it says, Shobi, the son of Nahash in verse 27, from Reba of the Ammonites. Shobi appears to have been the brother uh, of, um, uh, of the man that David showed kindness to after Nahash had died of the Ammonites. You remember how David desired to show kindness and his kindness was ultimately rejected. Well, this brother seems to understand something of the kindness of David and goes out extending kindness in return. We're told about a man named Makir, who had himself taken care of Mephibosheth before David himself extended his kindness to him. And we're told about Barzillai, an elderly statesman, an elderly Israelite who also comes out to care for David. And what we see is is that in these three supporters of David, three men who knew something about David, he was the king, but also they recognized something of his kindness. And so they give their loyalty to this king, even when it's risky to do so. Because at this point, It doesn't seem clear who is going to win. But they recognize that David is the Lord's chosen. And they give their loyalty to him. What does all of this have to do with us today? As our culture continues to shift and the Christian moorings of our society dissolve and are substituted with a new religion, As one kingdom is seeking to be overthrown by another form of a religion, we will find ourselves also having to make a choice, just as many Israelites had to as well, whether to endorse the new religion or whether we will acknowledge Jesus before others. The only difference is is that for us, we are to live with the mindset knowing the Lord's plans will prevail. That the plans of the wicked will be frustrated. And in the end, the supporters of the king will be shown to be wise. That when we meet Barzillel again, when we think about these men who came and showed their support, when we think about the woman who hid those messengers, when we think about the female servant who relayed the message, we are reminded of those actions which were proven to be right because they were advancing the Lord's purposes. And the Lord's promises prevailed. So we are to live not by sight, not living simply by, I guess this is the way things are going, and we have to keep up with the way things are going in the world, but rather by living by what has the Lord decreed, what has the Lord planned. He has made his promises that his anointed one will establish his kingdom forever it will not be destroyed and we are to live under his authority trusting that in jesus there is a savior from our sins trusting that in jesus there is victory over uh uh, sin itself and trusting that god's will will be done let's pray Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the schemes of uh, man, as we think about the rebellion against uh, David, we pray, Lord, that we would uh, understand that we ourselves must uh, give an account uh, of what it is that we hope in, that whether there are few or many supporters of the Lord Jesus, that we must decide who it is that we will serve, and whether we will be ashamed to confess Jesus before others. Lord, we pray that we would not be uh, tossed to and fro uh, by the waves of the sea, but that we would be people who understand uh, that the Lord's purposes will prevail, and that we uh, would have the courage uh, to do what is right and to live by the light of your truth. So, Lord, we ask that you would take away the fear of man. Help us, Lord, to not live in the fear of the future, but help us, Lord, to be secure uh, in your promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.